Gospel of John, chapter number 1. It says in verse 43, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. He said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Wow. So, Father, let us hear your heart today. All too often we look at the work of the gospel and think only of ourselves. It's always been your heart to bring others, not just us, but others, to you. So help our hearts resonate with yours and sink to beat in rhythm with yours. And may the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see and our ears to hear all the needs around us. Reveal this truth to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a cry of those perishing being heard among the crescendo of cultural change. You can still hear the cry of the perishing. In fact, the worse our culture becomes, the louder this cry is. Let me share quickly two stories with you to illustrate the truth. There were two Marines stationed at Camp Pendleton in Southern California some time back. They decided to go on a hunting trip and took a jeep out into a very remote area. And as they crested the hill, they were unaware there was an opening to a mine shaft immediately on the other side of that hill. And they plunged 150 feet down to its bottom. One of the Marines was instantaneously killed, and the other was severely injured, several broken bones. And it happened on a Friday, and he remained unable to move until Monday, his dead friend next to him all weekend. It was extreme pain, kept crying out, Save me, somebody help me. Is there anyone who can hear me? Search parties were already out looking for them, but it was a couple of other hunters who were in that vicinity who heard the cries of this 23-year-old Marine. He was married, and he had an eight-month-old daughter. He's crying for help from the bottom of this mine shaft. The hunters were not equipped to rescue him at that depth, so they said, look, we're going to go connect with rescuers. As soon as we can find them, we're going to get them out here to help you. Just be patient, please. But something happened in the mind of that Marine, now already there over the entire weekend for three days, and panic began to set in. It took the hunters several hours to get to a place where they could find the rescuers and connect with them because of the remoteness of the area. There was no no phone service. So in the meantime, the Marine began to break down mentally, severely. So he decided, thinking, you know, they may have gotten lost. Maybe they don't remember where they found me, and they don't know exactly how to get back to where I am. So he grabs one of the tires off of the Jeep best he can, and sets it on fire, thinking the smoke rising up out of the mine shaft would be a marker so that the rescuers could find his locale. Tragically, just as the rescuers were approaching the area where they could rescue this Marine, the fire that he started on the tire ignited some spilled fuel. 
And then it made its way to the tank, the Jeep, and exploded. And that Marine died a horrible death that day in that mine shaft. He'd been abandoned there for three days, crying out for somebody, anybody, help me. There was a family home that caught on fire also several years ago in the middle of the night. In that home, there were seven people residing. In the darkness of the night, this fire exploded and raged through this house. They were tempting everything they could to suppress this fire. And someone mentioned to one of the firemen, there are five children in that house. And word spread through the crowd, and people had assembled because it was quite an extensive fire. Restraining lines were formed so that it would protect the people. You can't get close to this thing. It was such a raging inferno. The roof of the house totally collapsed inward on the occupants, and they could hear the cries of those children, help me, save us. Firefighters had to be restrained by their captain because they wanted to attempt a rescue, but it was too dangerous. They were not permitted to get into that house. So those five precious children perished that night in the fire. You could hear their cries, help me, somebody help me. As a pastor, I've stood by the bed of those going over the line into eternity. I've heard the cries of loved ones as they watched their loved one as they journeyed over that line into eternity. There were sobs of those loved ones realizing they were helpless to do anything to prevent that individual from crossing that line. I've heard that cry of pain coming from those standing around that hospital bed. I've heard the cry of disappointment when the bad news had to be shared. I've been the one to have to make the death notification. And then you hear this unmistakable moaning and groaning and pain. And only if you've experienced it do you understand it or know it. I've heard the cry of someone disappointed that it just didn't turn around in time. But there's never been a cry like the cry of someone who is perishing without God. It's the cry for help. The cry of someone going into eternity... Without God, that's a very unique cry. The cry of someone who recognizes I'm lost and I'm perishing. So my prayer today is that Calvary Christian Center would tune its ear and hear the cry coming from the perishing around us. The Apostle Paul had a vision, and the vision, he saw a man crying to him. And that vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. The man cried to Paul in that vision, please come help us. Come to Macedonia. We need help. And Paul is so moved by this vision in the night, he couldn't rest until he journeyed there. And when he finally arrives in Macedonia, he didn't find this urgency that he had in the vision. Didn't see people waiting eagerly for the message of the gospel to be preached. No one was saying, hey, we're glad you're here. Help us. Yet God had showed Paul a vision of that city crying out, help us. We're perishing. We're lost. So what was the vision all about that God gave Paul? Because when he arrives in Macedonia, people were just going about their normal life. What Paul saw that we need to see in his vision, God looked down and he saw a perishing community. He didn't see what they saw. All they saw was their normal life. They saw coming and going. They saw selling and buying. They saw busy and going to work, going off to some sporting event. But when God looked at the people of Macedonia, he saw them perishing. He saw them lost on the brink of eternity. And he saw them lost playing games with their eternal souls. 
So God gives Paul a vision. And even though they weren't conscious of their own condition, the lostness of their soul, he said, I want you, my servant, to know the condition of their soul. They're desperate. See it as I see it. They are perishing. They are crying out for someone to come and save them. So parent with a child who has broken your heart and is living out of the will of God, every time you mention, come to church with me, and they get angry, and they storm off and they say, I don't want anything to do with your God or church. But don't just hear those words. Hear beyond the natural ear. See beyond what you see. Because if you could really see and hear what that child is saying to you, Mom, help me. Mom, don't stop praying for me. Mom, don't give up on me. Keep fasting for me. Mom, I know I'm doing stupid stuff, but keep praying for me. I'm perishing. That son that's gone off into a far country, he's done everything he can to disgrace your family, started using drugs. Every time you get next to him and mention Jesus and getting right with God, he flares up. That's what people do who are under conviction. They don't like it, so they storm out. They get in their car and squeal out of the driveway off into the night. But what they're saying is, Dad, please don't give up on me. And you have to grasp the vision like Paul saw his vision. You can't just see what's in the natural. If you could see what is in the supernatural, they're saying, please don't stop praying. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm choosing to live the way I live. I don't know why I'm going off into the night to do this stuff. But please don't quit praying for me. Don't quit believing for me. Because I am perishing. It's the cry of the perishing. It's the Macedonian call for help. And the lost cry out today. They're saying, help us. There's a city all around us with cries that are ascending to heaven. They are people you work with. And they're calling on the Lord to help us. They won't show it necessarily in the natural. They won't act it out in the way that you and I think they should act it out. But we should be able to sense it and know it in the spiritual. And if you could see them on their college campus or in their high school classroom or on their job, that there where you're the only follower of Jesus, if you could see it from God's perspective, listen, you could hear the cry for help ascending to the Lord. You would hear the students say, help me. You know, I've tried drugs. I've tried everything that the world has thrown at me, but I'm empty. What's this gnawing emptiness in me? I'm perishing. So Calvary, we need a spiritual vision for the lost and the perishing. God told Noah to build an ark and to get his family into that ark. And when Noah built the ark and he got his family on board, God shut the door. And the waters began to swirl around their feet. And the inhabitants of the earth, for the first time, began to see something fall from the sky they'd never seen. And they began to pound on the doors, on the door as the waters began to rise. And I think of how the Word of God describes this scene. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Can you see the people as the waters rise and the rains descend? Listen, they're climbing for the highest ground they can find. And they're climbing up on trees and animals and people are panicked and they've never seen rain fall from the skies. They've never felt floodwaters around them. 
Water is everywhere. People are beating on the sides of this great vessel. Please, please, please. But it's too late. It was the cry of the perishing. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. I think of how much water swept people away and how that must have been, the horror of that moment. Much like the tsunami in Japan, when you saw the footage and you heard the screams of those being violently swept away, parents and children, older and younger, perishing, walls of water just rolling in, waves 30 to 100 feet in height, crushing everything in their paths, surging down the streets, wiping out everything and everyone in its path. It's from these vantage points on hills and in tall buildings that incredible footage was captured. In Kesanuma, people retreated to a high-rise rooftop and could only watch in horror as tsunami waves inundated their city, knocking buildings into rubble and mixing into a kind of tsunami soup filled with vehicles, building parts, and contents. That sound that was heard when the tsunami struck Japan a few years ago was nothing compared to the sound of that perishing cry out in Noah's day, lost forever. Why? The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Souls in distress in Noah's day crying, help us. Won't somebody help us? I'm dying. I'm going into eternity. Won't somebody help us? Much like the cry out of Sodom and Gomorrah, the place was exceedingly wicked. Immorality and sin, not, not too different from America as we're seeing it unfold in our day. And when God looked in on the scene, he's told Lot, gather your family and get out of there. And God sent his angels to lead them out, and Lot's family was commanded, do not look back. The scripture says that Lot's wife turned around to look back. And I've heard many messages on why Lot's wife turned back. Some said she remembered the life she was leaving, the free culture to live any way that you choose, the friends that she was leaving behind, perhaps the reason she turned back as she was cresting the hill. She was about to leave everything and everybody behind And the fire from heaven had already begun to fall, and people were being consumed, and she hears screams and cries of people perishing in the fire and brimstone. Perhaps she heard the cry of the perishing and the dying, and she turned back in remorse, and she was thinking, I should have warned them. I should have witnessed to them. I should have spoken up. I should have been bolder. I was too much like them to influence them. Maybe that's why she turned back against the command not to. Escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be destroyed. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So Jesus poignantly refers to her in the Gospels, and he says these words, Remember Lot's wife. In Exodus, the word talks about the tenth plague to strike Egypt. When Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. The word says the death angel visited every home and every household in Egypt that did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts 
the death angel would enter that house and take out the firstborn. And what caught my attention, the word says, there was a great cry. Wow. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Can you imagine his parents rushed into the bedrooms of their firstborn, and their firstborn was choking and dying that night? And the color leaving their faces, and their parents are crying out to an idol God who has no power, and they're screaming, not my baby. And each household saw the loss of their firstborn throughout all the land of Egypt. House to house, the whole nation was groaning in agony of pain as they lost their firstborn. The cries of the perishing filled the entire cities of Egypt. And today I'm praying that our ears would be unstopped. And all around us, there are people crying, help me, won't you please help me? I'm headed toward the flames. I'm headed for eternal darkness. I'm headed into eternity. They may act like they're having a good time. They may be carrying on as though their lives are normal. But the truth is, whether wealthy or poor, educated or illiterate, whether they have much or they have little, whether they're successful or unsuccessful, one thing we all have in common, there is an eternity. And God has put that in our hearts. He has put eternity in their hearts, which means we're all going to enter eternity, every one of us. And only Jesus can fill the need for the eternal in the soul of any human being. The story is related of George W. Truett. He was a famous pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, many years ago. It was the largest church in his day in the city of Dallas. And as he was leaving this world, you know, so many people loved him and appreciated him. As he neared the end of his life, because he was a very straight, talking preacher, he would tell you the truth. He didn't mince words. The only one allowed to be with him in those last few moments of his life was his wife. No visitors allowed. Before he passed, there was a knock on the hospital door. His wife opened the door, and there was a young man standing there. And the young man said, please, I know I'm not supposed to come up here, but please, please understand my request. Your husband touched my life. And because of that, I got my family back. He led me to Jesus, and my family was restored. And I know I can't speak to him, but could I just at least just step inside the door and see him one more time before he departs? And Truett's wife let him in the room for just a couple of moments. And when they stepped inside the room expecting to see Pastor Truett lying on his deathbed, somehow this man mustered enough strength in his final moments to get up off that deathbed and had now walked over to the window. In that bedroom, that hospital room, was this large window overlooking Dallas. And Pastor Truett was standing there with his hands raised in prayer. Oh, Dallas, oh, Dallas, why won't you come to God? Those were his final words. Dr. Billy Graham, the great evangelist who's held his integrity throughout his years of ministry, He's conducted the greatest crusades all over the world. Growing a little feeble now as he's in his, in his 90s. And yet still, preached the gospel to America this past year. 
using television and satellite, his theme, My Hope for America. Years ago, he was preaching a crusade in New York City at Madison Square Garden, and his ministry was going to touch all of New York. So they rented that facility for weeks, and thousands of people came to know Jesus. And during the crusade, early one morning, several pastors receive a a call in the middle of the night from Dr. Graham. It's 2 a.m., and he's on the other end of the phone, and he's crying. And he's trying to communicate his burden. And he said these words to those pastors. He said, I cannot sleep. The wickedness of this city has gripped me. Would you please get out of bed and meet me in my hotel room, and let's pray for the rest of the night that there would be such a revival in this city, it would shake the people free from the grip of Satan. So the pastors got out of their beds at 2 a.m., and they go over to the hotel where Dr. Graham was staying. They go up the elevator to his private personal suite, and they're greeted there by a tear-stained face saying, let's pray for this city because people are perishing in their sins. And they prayed until dawn, and God sent a mighty revival to New York City. When I read these stories of Pastor Truett standing in his last breath, looking out of the hospital window and calling a city to repentance, and I read about Billy Graham so burdened by the lost in that city where he ministered, he prayed all night long. I think, God, grip me with a burden for the cry of the lost in our city. And God gripped Calvary Christian Center with a cry for the lost in our city and our surrounding communities. A cry for the lost in our state, for we're perishing and a nation is perishing. And God stir our hearts out of our apathy. Somehow we've got to realize there's more to church than making us feel good. There's more than nominalism, Christian in name only, more than being people who believe things about Jesus rather than being a disciple who believes in and follows Jesus. It's more than making us feel good and helping us have a better day. There's more to it than just doing that. We must comprehend that people are perishing. We have to understand that hell has enlarged itself to accommodate those without Christ. We must understand that if a Muslim doesn't bow his knee to Jesus, if a Buddhist doesn't bow his knee to Jesus, if a rich man or a poor man who doesn't bow his knee to Jesus, listen, the black or the white man, if they don't bow their knees to Jesus, they will die and go into eternity without God. And that's what must grip our hearts again. The cry of the lost and the cry of the perishing. It's one thing to be lost in the darkness. That's understandable. Have you ever been lost? Traveling somewhere and you, where am I? It's easy to get lost when it's dark. But what's difficult to understand is people who get lost in broad daylight. I would submit to you that America is lost in broad daylight. We have more preachers than we've ever had, more churches than we've ever had, more Bibles than we've ever had, with more television and radio stations preaching the gospel than we've ever had. We have more Christians than we've ever had, but yet America's lost in the light, lost in the light of God's Word. America, the land of plenty. The problem, not all who say they are Christians are biblical reflections of Christianity. When the National Association of Evangelicals has to chide us in California because we lost the privilege 
of overturning AB 1266 because not enough believers got up out of their seats and signed the petition and said, we're not going to allow a little tiny fraction of our populace to open doors for stuff to go on in our public restrooms that should never happen. Why? Because we're lost in broad daylight. Because we have cultural Christians. 74% of Americans say, I'm a Christian. That's a cultural thing. Most times it has very little to do with, do I really know him or know about him? Cultural Christians. We've got congregational Christians, and they're the ones who show up for church when it's not raining. I've got nothing better to do today. When sports hasn't taken me off to some other venue, congregational Christians. Then you have convictional Christians who say, you know what? This is the Lord's day. If I've got to drag myself out of bed, I'm going to go to God's house and give him glory on his day, no matter what. And why is all this happening to us? Because our riches have piled up. We're overflowing. We've got more than any culture in the world. We're air-conditioned and we're satellite-linked. We're stylized. We drive the best vehicles. We're remote-controlled. We're jumbo-sized and we're fabulous. America has everything. Painless, effortless, sometimes brainless, and for sure with a great lack of wisdom. And 40 million of us are taking tranquilizers every day. Why is that? Because we're spiritually hungry, yet all we seem to do is feed our stomachs. We are longing for peace, but we have to take medication to have any. We crave security, so we work harder. We demand relaxation, so people abuse alcohol and use drugs to get relaxed. We need God, but we worship self. We need heaven, but we live like hell. We need salvation, but we love our sins too much. We are not just lost, we are lost in the light. We know who Jesus is, yet there are tribes in central Eurasia who don't know who Jesus is. Muslims who don't know who Jesus is. They are in darkness, but we're lost in the light. So the Ethiopian was coming, an Ethiopian official was traveling out of the city of Jerusalem and returning south to his home. This official had come to Jerusalem for a feast, a spiritual feast, because Jerusalem was the center of everything spiritually, culturally. So as he travels south in his chariot toward his home, he's reading from the book of Isaiah, and he's lost in the light because he doesn't know what it means. And Philip, who has just preached a city-changing revival in Samaria, is transported to the road on which the Ethiopian is traveling. And Philip approaches the chariot. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no. So Philip runs to him and hears him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless somebody guides me? I need someone to help me. Somebody's got to help me. Somebody's got to save me. Listen, people are perishing. They are reading they're going to New Age. They find all kinds of religious ideology, searching and saying, help me, help me, help me. And that's why we should be the first to step up with help. And by the way, when the Ethiopian gave his life to Jesus because revelation hit him, five minutes later, he was in the tank getting baptized. 
He didn't wait for months. See you tonight. Amen. There's nothing more pitiful than a child lost in a mall or lost in a neighborhood. A child so young they can't even say their last name. They don't know it. They don't know their phone number. They don't know their address. They don't know their parents' names. If you ask them, they would just say, Daddy, Mommy. They might be able to tell you their own first name. Can you imagine being a child in a crowded mall? My wife and I have seen that several times over the years. A child is lost or a parent is trying to find a child, and the panic is unbelievable. They get separated somehow, and the child is standing in the middle of the crowds of people crying, Daddy, Mommy. And finally, security shows up, and they search frantically for the parents to try to reunite them, and most of the time it comes out well. But occasionally it takes a while, and parents are not quickly found. And can you imagine those security guards, and now they've invited police to get involved to try to figure out who is this child. They take the crying child to the police station. Imagine they're trying to cheer the child up a little bit while they're trying to search for their parent, her parents, and so upset. If you've ever seen that kind of a face on a child, wow, it's a heartbreak. And one policeman says, you know, I know what, I'll bring her a piece of candy and she'll eat the candy and perhaps that'll calm her down a little bit. And sure enough, the bag of candy does the trick momentarily. And the child begins to eat the candy and enjoys it, but something happens in her brain and remembers, I'm lost, and spits the candy out. Daddy, Mommy. Another officer says, I know what I'm going to do. I'll get the teddy bear out of the little back room here, and that'll get her mind off the fact that she's separated from her parents. So they bring her a teddy bear, and she grabs it and hugs it for a few moments. But something triggers in her mind, and she starts crying. Daddy, Mommy. Somebody fetches an ice cream cone out of the freezer, and that satisfies her for a moment. She remembers, I'm lost. There's nothing more pitiful than looking at the face of a child who's lost. And that's exactly the condition our world is in today. They're lost. The bag of candy only takes their mind off of that fact for just a short period. The new car, the new toy, the big house, the new job, if I could get this, if I could get the ice cream cone, if I could date that girl, if I could sleep with that guy, it satisfies them for a moment. But when they awaken in the middle of the night, There's something in their heads saying, I am lost. I'm sleeping with this person, but I'm lost. I'm at a party getting high. They said this would make me popular, and this would somehow make me happy, but I'm still lost. But imagine when that dad comes bursting through the doors of that police station. Has anyone seen my little girl? I heard she's here. And that little girl turns, throws her candy down, Drops the teddy bear, pushes the ice cream cone off the table, and runs into the arms of her daddy. That's the condition of a lost person. Nothing will satisfy your soul but Jesus. Nothing. God, help us to hear the cry of the perishing. So I'm saying to you, Calvary Christian Center, They're all around us. And we've got to be more than cultural or congregational Christians. We have to be 
conviction-oriented Christians. Slightest little raindrops can't stop us. Slightest little distraction won't get us off our rails because we're sold totally out to him. It's possible to sit through a church service like this and be really religious and forget there's somebody on the pew next to you that could be in eternity this time next week. And I want God to unstop our ears to the cries of the lost and the cries of the perishing so we never forget that that's why Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, which means we're lost. And it's not to stop with my salvation. It's to continue. Because then he turned to us and said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And greater things than these you're going to do because I go to my Father and you're going to spread out over the entire planet and tell everybody this story I've just told you. And until we understand, it's not about us sitting in our nice seats in church. It's about a world around us that's dying and going to hell unless we step up. Because no one else is going to do it.